Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, this is William Easton, your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success. Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website, richmondbizlive.com, and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. One hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar for the most important hour in your week. And this is Richmond Biz Live, your weekly business talk radio show broadcast live from the beautiful studios of WLE News Talk 990 in downtown Richmond. I'm your host, William Eastman, managing partner for the Growth Works, a small business fast growth company and executive producer of Richmond Biz Live today's show. Uh, so to all our listeners out there, you know the answer to the following question, but for all the newbies, why listen? Well, I tell you what. If you are an ongoing listener, you know that finally there is a resource here in the local Richmond area that is dedicated to your success. Uh, the city of Richmond, like a lot of um, cities and, uh, and areas, does an excellent job of helping startups, incubators, etc., get their get their feet on the ground and get going. But nobody out there is designing their programming, their approach, their materials, their expertise to help those business owners who have been around for a few years. And what they're looking to do is get a payback. How do I get my money back for the years of um, investment and sacrifice that I put into it? Well. If that's who you are, you are in the right spot. And all of our methods uh, that we use here talk about how to self-finance that growth. Is that um, when, and in fact, Linda Heath and I today are going to go into uh, some examples from fast growth companies. Most of those companies did not get financing until way late in their histories. And the rule of thumb here is that if you go to financing three times, you're out because uh, you, you won't own any of the business. And so how do I grow my company? How do I sell my company? And how do I finance that out of the cigar box through sales? Uh, that's what we're doing here. Um, everybody that's on the show is a recognized thought leader. And what I mean by that is they are either nationally, internationally, or locally known in the areas of finance, branding, strategy, marketing, sales, productivity, technology, and people. Um, and every one of them, not only are thought leaders in their particular areas of expertise, but they're also business owners and, in fact, have done this. They have grown companies. They have sold companies. They have bought companies. And so if that's you, you are in the right spot. So how do you play? Well, you go to richmondbizlive.com. That's richmondbizlive.com. And on the home page, you will find us, uh, you'll find three buttons. One says watch. Click the watch button, and you can catch, catch us live on a cam here in the studio. Click listen, and you can alternatively stream the radio show right directly from the studios of WLEE, or you can join. Now, in this particular case, how do you join this show? Real simple, 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483 or 844-BIZ-LIVE. If it's time for your business to pay you back for the year's investment sacrifice, be here every Friday at 12.06 uh, or stream us. So with that, Let's get rolling. So we, where we are is that we run two tracks 
in this third season. We've had uh, three seasons so far. Season number one was dedicated to those companies that were in what we call the 80% group. Those companies worried about how to make money, how to break even, how to stay in business. Season two are those companies that have reached that and now they're saying to themselves, what do we do next? What's the next act? And season three, which is the season we're in right now is, okay, I'm at the top. I have two choices. One is to sell the business and that was last week and that will be next week. Or, hey, that was fun. I want to do it again because I want to make more money and I want to raise the value of my company. And that's what we're talking about this week. So in the studios is Linda Heath of Financial Holographics. Hey, Linda, how are you doing? Hey, Bill. I am just fine. How are you? I am rolling. I've had one of those mornings where so heard. <laughs> everything was just way fast, way fast. <laughs> too much, too uh, up close and loud or something. Well, I'm going to flip the tables on you this week. I would like to interview you a little bit because one of the um, important underpinnings to this whole program and what you've put together to make a difference for business owners is your studies about fast growth companies and the principles that apply. And I'm not sure we've really conveyed that very clearly. And if you remember in 2009, November of 2009. And you and I were in, we went to DC. That's right. We went to Reston. For the 100th anniversary of the Virginia Society of CPAs. And uh, you had gotten a presentation there and you very kindly pulled me in. And um, I found the slides. I thought maybe you could post some of these images on the website afterwards. Yeah, I can put the slide deck up. I can put it up in the resources. No problem. You keep referencing the fact that um, it is possible to go from zero in revenue to a billion dollars. I think that's mind-boggling for a lot of our listening audience. Um, But we are targeting companies that have been very successful, and they're figuring out. And what fascinates me about your research is that there's a system for doing it. And in the slides, at the very end, you had mentioned that there were three companies that started as privately owned that went from zero to a billion and that your research had found. Well, maybe I should be letting you know what your research found about how it happens. And we're going to use those three case studies over the next month or two, dissect it for folks so that they can begin to figure out if this is what they want to do. Okay. Well, yeah, we, um, just so everybody know, kind of level the playing field. We started doing research in the early part of this century, back in 2002. Uh, the company I was in went, um, got caught up in the internet bust, and I just closed the deal with the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, uh, to use their facilities for something. And I walked out and got a phone call that we no longer had a company. And so I was scratching my head about what I was going to do. And I've always wanted to focus on small business, and I wanted to focus on growth. So I had I went back in the building, cut another deal with UNLV which put me into their computer system, LexisNexis. And now it's different nowadays, but back then you couldn't get access to the type of information I needed. And I looked at a number of research papers that were written either as comparative studies uh, between different companies or focused on individual companies like Starbucks. And it talked about how did these companies grow? And we spent a couple of years trying to distill out of that what were the characteristics. And so one of the interesting things we found was is that – and if you've got a $500,000 a year business, that's all you're making. I, I want you to kind of suspend your judgment for a moment because you too could be a billion dollars. I mean, part of this is what industry you're in, but really the other part of it is what does your heart want to do? Right. And so what happened with these companies is that they went through stages of growth and then they got to the top of, of their growth curve where they were basically worth the, mo- the most money they were worth. 
Well, one option, like we're talking about this season, is to sell the company. The other option is to reinvent. Now, there is no time pattern for how long it takes you from startup to reinvention. The first one. The first one. The company I'm working with in uh, so Southwest Virginia, it may take them 30 years to get to the first reinvention. Mm -hmm. um, one of the companies I looked in the study, Fastenal, which uh, if you're in the construction industry, you know very well, it took them 70 years mm -hmm. to get to the first reinvention. But once you reinvent once and you decide to play it out, it runs three patterns, a four pattern, a six pattern, and a 12 pattern. What I mean is you can go, it takes four reinventions to go from zero to a billion. And the real fast track companies reinvent four times over four years. I want you to think about AOL. AOL was not profitable until late, um, 1995. When they merged with Time Warner, financially, they were worth more than Time Warner was. And we're talking hundreds of billions of dollars. They did that in four reinventions. Some companies did it in six. Starbucks is a good example of once they got there, it only it took them four reinventions over six years to go from a fifty and sixty million dollar company to a billion dollar company. And then and uh, Fastenal was the one that did it in twelve years. And Cisco, uh, Cisco did it in four because they were in the right industry at the right time. And if you were in if you were building networking equipment routers that were ubiquitous. Now, of course, with this latest Sony thing, we could have a totally different conversation about that. But back in the day, back in the 90s, man, if you were so, if you were Cisco, and it's interesting is Cisco did it in acquisition. Well, they bought 70-some-odd companies out over the mm -hmm. space of 10 years in the 1990s. Well, I'm going to put you, let's put Fastenal and uh, Cisco on hold because right. I did my research on Starbucks for okay. this week. And, and I thought Starbucks would be very relatable because everybody has probably had at least one Starbucks cup of coffee. Maybe sometimes you didn't even know it. And the story, I, I researched their history and I researched their financials and thought you could talk about the reinventions and I'll kind of tell you. They publish a very nice timeline on the Internet. So um, it was helpful. I tried to pick out when the, what were the reinventions that got them to that mark. Okay, because you probably saw big jumps. In other words, you, you know, their, their growth line was going up in terms of revenue mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it shot up huge. And so what you could, you could see it as kind of a, a sloping line with a, all of a sudden there's a big step and then yeah. there's a sloping line and a big step. And that, that big step is that reinvention and then coming out of it, they didn't pick up the line where they left off. They picked up that line way above wherever they were. Growth, exponential growth. Exponential growth. Well, I guess um, I, I did. Let's just talk about where yeah. they started because we're talking about these founder-owned companies. We've been talking to founder-owned companies, and there were three guys. They were adults. They all met at um, the University of San Francisco, and one of them had um, a passion for coffee and had connected with some guy in British Columbia, Vancouver, who was um, an expert roaster of coffee beans. And these three guys became interested and decided they wanted to roast coffee beans as well, and they were friends and so they formed the company and that was in 1971 in Seattle they opened their first store after learning from Al Pete the um, an unusual way to roast coffee beans and what comes out of this story as you dig and do the research um, the coffee industry in the U.S. was beginning to decline it was beginning to shrink some mm -hmm. and spe but specialty coffee was beginning to increase and I don't know whether they I doubt they did any research. I think it was their own personal passion, and that sort of goes with the advice 
that people are given, do what you love and the money will follow. I'm not sure that always works. You have to be smart about it. Um, But anyway, in 1982, a man named Howard Schultz joined the company. What it doesn't say, you have to go research him. He was actually a vice president of a Swedish home goods company in New York. And so they picked somebody, they brought in, he, they brought him in for retailing and wholesaling. And part of the Starbucks coffee, we're, we're mainly familiar with the retail side, but there was a wholesale side. So even at the very roots, there was a B2C, business to consumer, and that's the conspicuous part. But there was also this B2B, wholesaling, roasting the beans and selling it through some other outlets. And I think that gave them a lot of volume, and I think that's important. I looked at what Ben is going to talk about and the different things, and I, I wanted to get that on the table because I think it'll play into what he's saying. Yep. So they brought in Howard to really begin to grow things. And um, in 1983, this is where those serendipities come in. He happened to take a trip to Italy, and he fell in love with the Italian coffee bar. The, 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 the Italian coffee culture. Yes, it was a culture. I didn't realize that. And it was all about having um, a place to go. It was that your third place. In other words, that place between home and work, that third place that you could go and do what you needed to do, and it, he, and it created a sense of community. And I think that's really missing in America, in the big cities. That's what's so it, amazing. It is. In fact, uh, Howard Schultz was also greatly influenced by Kinko's. Kinko's. And, and if you are if you are a road warrior from the last fifteen or twenty years, you know that you slept many a night getting work done for your assignment the next day in Kinkos. And Kinkos, the joke at Kinkos was at two in the morning, it's Star Wars Cantina because of the weird the weird of the weird are hanging out at Kinks. And so he also had that kind of experience and understood that if he created a destination Starbucks is a destination. It's not a coffee store. Right. That is right. And that was intentional on their part. That's right. And um, so in 1980, um, he joined them. He travels to Italy. And in um, 1984, he convinces the founders. So the founders are still in the game. He convinces them to test the coffee house concept in downtown Seattle. So my thought is that might have been the first reinvention because they're testing a different concept. But I don't know. Tell me what your research no, no, I, no, I think you're right because what, what it doesn't, what, what a lot of the research doesn't show is that if you, if you use the, if you use the concept of blue ocean strategy and, and the, basically the, and I can't think of the, the, the names now that I struggle with them. There's three, there's three types of business strategies. One is a, you're, you're traditionally going to do what everybody else does and you're going to do it a little bit better, which is an optimizer. On the other end of that is blue ocean. You go someplace that nobody else has been. What he did is he did the middle strategy, which is taking everything that works and kind of putting it together, only putting it together differently, such as Walmart going into food stores. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that wasn't, a, it, 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 the new industry was a department store and a food store together. Neither one of those were new concepts. And that's what he did is because he had great infrastructure because of his background. He understood mm-hmm. the lines of distribution. Mm-hmm. He looked at how Walmart was winning the game and Walmart is the most vertically integrated company in the world when it comes to stock. If somebody buys something off the shelf in a Walmart store, it goes all the way back to the manufacturer and says, make one. Right. So let's, let me 
run through the timeline because I'm, I'm looking at our time and I think we can't start this conversation and not at least get them to that billion dollars. Yep. So let me hit. So in 1987, he, oh, excuse me, 1985, Howard leaves Starbucks. I did not know this. And he forms his own Italian flavored, um, co- the coffee shop experience. Mm-hmm. And then in 1987, he acquires Starbucks from the three founders. So this is what's really interesting. From 1971 to 1984, 13 years to their first reinvention, they're still in the game. By 93 years later, second reinvention, they sell. So it's kind of intriguing because we're talking to our founder owners about getting to a billion, but they, if, if they want to stay in the game, they're going to have to think differently. So he buys and consolidates mm-hmm. his chain, his small chain with their small chain. He paid $3.7 million. So I think for three guys who were an English teacher, a history teacher, and a writer. They did well. They, they walked away well. They walked away I with a million. They, a million each, yes. I guess 700000 went to the uh, fund, the, <laughs> the lawyers. Well, maybe a little bit more than that. But um, Anyway, then he begins to innovate. And this particular timeline on their website focuses a lot on their emphasis on making the employees as partners mm-hmm. and um benefits and so forth and expanding stores and expanding stores in 1992 so 21 years after it was founded they go public their revenue at that point according to their 10k remember a few weeks ago i told people you can go out there and read these things i did that so that's how i got the numbers going back 103 million dollars and at that point they had 165 stores and if you were to take 103 million and divide it by 165 you'd say oh my gosh those stores are million dollar stores but but what's not showing is how much was wholesale that's so they right. had That's two right. significant segments. Okay, let me. So what going. we're talking about that was their, probably their second reinvention. You think going public was? I thought it was when uh, Howard merged two small. Well, it, it, it's really it's really kind of what was the potential of the company, and sometimes it's hard to see by just right. looking at the financials. But when they went public, typically companies that become a billion dollar firm and do four reinventions, it's either the second or third reinvention is when. They need the big money. That's when they need the big money. Well, then let me tell you what happened. The next year, in 93, they opened a roasting plant. So now they're obviously scaling. Right. They're not roasting in stores. Um, and by 1994, they had their first drive-through location. So they're piggybacking on all the knowledge that McDonald's had gained through the years. Mm-hmm. Um, 1995, they began serving Frappuccino, which is a blended beverage. They had a stock yep. split. They opened another roasting facility. So I, I had pegged that as reinvention number four, but it might be part of that number three they began bottling and selling frappuccino and andy i mean ben's going to talk about having strategic partners as part of this right and it lists um one of the other articles talks about they have a relationship a strategic partner with craft foods to do one thing they have a strategic partner with pepsi cola to bottle some of their specialty flavors they have um strategic partner with an ice cream company and so forth so yeah i think it's dryers yeah it is good for you and by 1997, they established a foundation. They were national. At that point, they were at $966.9 million in revenue. So they crossed that $1 billion mark sometime in 1998. And so that would be 27 years after they were founded. But it was really short. It was um, 84, 98, 14 years after that first right. reinvention. No, and, and, so I've got my reinventions wrong because you said they were the six-year crowd. So, 90, yep. so 92, that is when right. they went public. That's the reinvention. Right. And so, yeah, and it, it, I, the, the point here that Linda's hit, and she's giving you the historical record and looking at it uh, from through the eyes of a chief financial officer, is that they probably got some angel capital someplace after the first reinvention. Mm-hmm. But they pretty much stayed pure, and because they understood from the beginning their play was to go public. 
And so what they didn't do is they didn't dilute anything. And because of that, Howard never got himself forced out because they've had some bad years. Um, they have. Well, he actually left for a while. I don't know why, but the guy who replaced him was forced out because of some bad earning years. Right. Howard's been back right. since the eighties because it, because he under, he, he, he understands the business probably better than anybody else. And I want to say one margin thing. I know we're, we're kind of on, on the time and that right. is they learned a couple, they had one time where one of their reinventions involved connecting with supermarkets and they got out of that. That was not, did not work for them because they have very high standards and the supermarket, that particular channel, has very low margins, and um, they did not want to compromise on their quality. So there's that thing about sticking to your That's vision, right. what made them different. They right. specialty coffee, so you can't compromise. They wouldn't flavor their coffee beans, and they wouldn't lower their roasting standards. And so That's right. In fact, when, when he went public, my guess was it was specifically to open the roasting houses is that they had already tested because that's a manufacturing now it's no he'd longer. already tested they already tested the model and they knew that the store model was going to work so all these additions like frappuccino and driving and all that they're just extensions so we you know if we talk to the business owners out there it's nothing more than doing a product or service extension of what you currently do what okay. he needed capital right. investment for was to open up a new piece because he knew he could break out right. if he if he vertically integrated it's like if you go back to the days of ford one of the reasons why ford did so well in the, in the early part of the 20th century is that they owned the ore mines, they owned the boats, they owned steel mills, they owned the rubber, and so Ford totally integrated the operation. So not only was it cheaper, that was part of it, but Henry Ford knew exactly what he had to have because this was a brand new industry mm -hmm. and it had to be done his way. Interesting. And, and, and Howard sounds like the same kind of person. Well, thank you so much. I, I want to pick this up because we've got some other stories, and I think this makes a great roadmap for our listeners. Oh, it, it really does because all it says is that you can do this. That none of none of and nothing we've talked about required anything exceptional except a business owner with a dream that is based upon reality of what the market has. But I bet you Howard won not because he was right. Howard won because he wouldn't quit. And at and. And to the, the people that we're talking to, you haven't quit yet. Yeah, and yeah. so if you're thinking about selling your business and you're kind of like our off weeks, mm -hmm. uh, don't go there yet. Because maybe where you want to go is you want to reinvent the thing. And think about this. In reinvention, you typically start adding zeros. In other words, if you're a $10 million company on the first reinvention, more than likely you're looking at $100 million mm -hmm. on the next one. And so how would you like to go there? Okay. Good to me, Bill. Thank All you. Right. See you in two weeks. All right. So thanks, Linda. And we'll be back. Hello, I'm Linda Heath, President of Financial Holographics and your Chief Business Analyst. Our accounting and finance experts solve business mysteries for CEOs. 80% of private companies are struggling. Only 5% have it made. Where are you? Please join me in a panel of business experts at Richmond BizLive Talk Radio on WLEE News Talk 990. Sponsored by Financial Holographics, where you don't have to know what to ask for to get what you need. As a business leader, have you developed a highly productive work environment? Do you create a work-life experience that is self-motivating, enjoyable, and rewarding for your fellow workers, vendors, suppliers, and most importantly, yourself? To navigate to a pleasurable work-life experience, which will provide the means for you to have a fantastic full-life experience, contact me, Andy Schuller, for a free consultation on the web at 
metamorphosismc.com. And we're back. This is Richmond Biz Live, richmondbizlive.com. It's 844 249-5483. That's 844-249-5483. So we just, we just had a great session with Linda and Linda was talking about this whole idea of reinvention and how long does it take. And I, I got to tell you is that, is that when you look at the data, the way that the data was originally put together, it was a scatter graph. We looked at companies as they went through reinventions and how many years did it take for one, two, three, four, and, that, and we created a zero line for revenue and a billion dollar line for revenue just as an arbitrary number. And everything clustered around a four line, a six line, or a 12 line. Now, there were outliers out there, but we can say that at least two thirds of them fell into that pattern. So I want you to think about that, that your business idea could be a billion dollar business. But in order to do that, you have to, you have to be like Starbucks in a way in terms of you have to go someplace that people haven't been and you got to bring out products and services that nobody has seen before. And you've got to become a leader at that. You got to consistently do it because once they're in, you got to keep them. And so with that, the expert on that particular topic is Andy Schulich from Metamorphosis Management Consulting. Hey, how you doing, Andy? Doing lovely today. Getting ready for uh, Christmas. How about you? Oh, um, I, yeah, I'll start thinking about Christmas this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's very interesting about, uh, what was discussed there because to, to be that type of person to grow, you can't get complacent. You have to be continuously imaginative and seeking the next step and, uh, not being complacent. So it's very, very important. So to, in today's show, uh, we want to focus on being the first to introduce new products or services to the marketplace. Um, and the question is, is this a good business move or a bad move? And what are some of the advantages and disadvantages in doing this? What actions are necessary to make this a very positive decision? And what have successful companies done in the past? First of all, being the first to introduce something new can create a huge market dominance for the company that does the introduction or it could be no impact if nobody buys the product, and it could then lead to a negative impact for the business because um, many things have to take place before something is introduced. Some of the advantages of being first are there's a lack of or no product competition. You're solely it. Uh, you are the only supplier initially. If the marketplace promotes the product, which means they buy into it or service, uh, competition will probably then start up very quickly because they see that there's room to make profit here. I guess a good example of that was when Apple came out with the first PC, you know, the techies jumped on it right away. Oh man, I remember that, don't you? Yeah, unfortunately, way back in the Stone Ages. The, the Mac, what was it, Mac 2s? Yeah, um, no. Oh, it was, Apple 2. It, it was Apple 2. Apple 2. Yeah. Then the Mac the, came out. Then the Mac came out. It was the, the next version. That's know? right. And, uh, but that was interesting because that really started the ball rolling on, on PCs. And look at where we are today with our phones. Um, if the product is very desirable, the company will develop a name recognition. You know, if I say to you, let's go get a soft drink, what's the first thing that comes to your mouth? Coke. Coca-Cola, that's right. Uh, you know, and you may not drink Coca-Cola, but it just is in your in mind. In fact, I don't. 
I, I'll yeah. say Coke, and re what I really meant was Pepsi. Not that I drank either, but yeah, I drank Pepsi over Coke. Right. Uh, and the first movers, the initial purchasers of a product, will establish the mindset for the future purchasers, possibly creating product improvements, support guidelines, and future development concepts. And one more thing I want to add to Andy's list before he, he talks about the, some of the disadvantages, and that is the free publicity, is that the, the, the publicity, and we'll go back to Apple because I think yeah. everybody, regardless of your what you own, recognizes Apple for some superior product development, is that when a new Apple product comes out, they don't have to advertise. No. All of the news stations are down there watching people stand in line to get a phone. That's right. And so if you're first to market and you have that reputation and you announce you're going to do something, all you have to do is send out a press release. And the media will take care of tens of millions of dollars worth of advertising you couldn't buy. That's true. So, and then with our other media, the Twitter and, and Facebook and all that, I mean, it just spreads like wildfire. It does. So what are some of the disadvantages if you're a first? Well, the purchasers do not know the value of obtaining or using the new product. So the business must educate the potential purchasers on the value and the uses of the product. A huge expenditure uh, may be incurred in the market research and development of the product by the initial uh, developer. Um, the competitors, on the other hand, they can re-engineer the product, take it apart, yep, and thus do it much less cost. And therefore, when they develop it, they have less upfront imp uh, money spent. Therefore, they can provide a lower selling cost. Think about the, f the first Ford Taurus. That's exactly what they did. They bought all of the Japanese and German cars, tore them apart, mm -hmm. and said, I want a, a better car part by part. And Ford came out with the Taurus and saved them. Wow. Wow. Uh, some competitors uh, may develop cheap knockoffs uh, where they only provide like 80% of the functionality. And um, so the business is, when you come out with your product, must be able to prove the value of the product and maintain in order to grow market volume. Uh, if it is very successful, uh, being able to meet the unit demand of the customer may be an issue, but that's a good issue. And you related yeah. to the the uh, um, Apple situation. Uh, that's that's exactly what happened to them. Yeah, because I'm not so sure that that is almost a forecasting nightmare and not a manufacturing one because, you know, if we built the capacity, as you've talked about, yeah. we can make as many as you want. The question is, is how to forecast how many do I need to make? Right. And how many do I need to have an in inventory someplace, some warehouse, so they're not waiting a week for us to get it built. Yeah, and, and if you do have that uh, loyal following, they may overlook it, but if you're brand new on the market and you can't provide the product, that could be detrimental to your, your company's image. Yeah, and, it, and and again, it could be the greatest product ever made. Oh, yeah. And you make a decision, a wrong decision on forecasting, and it takes off, and you don't have them, yeah. and so somebody steps in. Or you make too many, they don't sell as fast as you thought, now you're broke. That's right. Uh, you know, so in order to be successful, what what do you have to go ahead and really engage with? Um, being first to the market and becoming the market leader establishes a mindset in the customer. Maintaining product quality, service, and value will help to maintain this leadership position. 
developing a value-added product very quickly, and I stress quickly, uh, that provides functionality and is good for the customer uh, is a relationship builder. Develop a future product that is based on the customer's feedback from the first product, which provides much greater value than the competitor's product that's on the market at that time is very important. Being first to establish a product will aid in developing a generic product name. Just think if you need to go make a copy of something, a piece of paper. Most people say, i got to get a Xerox copy of that. Yep. You know, and that name Xerox, uh, and I know they're not the key um, providers in the copying world today because there are other ones that stepped up. Having a process that has a short period of time from conception of an idea to product delivery in the marketplace is very important in establishing the maximum solo entry market time before a competitor is able to enter the market. And you and I talked about that, that part of the success of why Chrysler was the hottest car in the early 1990s was that they had worked on quality to get platform times down to the least in the industry, platform time being from concept to it's rolling off the factory floor. And they got to uh, 17 months. And so what they could do is they could, they for every three products General Motors could turn out, they could turn out four. Or every two products General Motors turned out, they could turn out three. So, you know, a key component of success is marketing research. Uh, and some of these items we discussed in the past, but let's look at them again because they're very important. What is your target market? Uh, you can't produce a product to have everybody in the world to buy unless it's a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, will the product provide value and be purchased? Uh, do you have any competitors? How long will it take a competitor to develop a competitive product? What is the unique selling proposition? Very mm -hmm. important there. What are the market sale projections, growth curve, and life cycle of that product? What is the market pricing structure, as we discussed in previous shows? Right. What should the test market be? What educational, and I'm looking from a marketing program here, uh, programs are needed to introduce the product to the customers? And an example of this, I think, is Little Giant Ladder. If you go on to the TV, they have multiple channels. They have TV programs where they are showing you how to use all the functionality of that little ladder and where it can be used compared to somebody else's ladder. Uh, can the product be pro produce extensions be developed um, to meet future involvement needs? You know, speed of change of response. Mm -hmm. Using Little Giant again, they're in their second generation, and from their uh, marketing analysis, they now use a lighter and stronger material, metal. Right. It's supposed to be some aeronautical type right. material. They use put rollers on the bottom of it so you can roll it around, move it easy. You don't have to lift it all the time. Easy locking mechanisms, auxiliary attachments. They even held a drink. If you're up on the ladder. Now, now, now think about that is that Andy, not last session, but two sessions back, 
you talked about why you would want to have customers involved. Yes. And so let's assume that they followed our prescription, your prescription, and that is get something that's good enough out now. Yes. So people buying it, then work closely with those customers and then customize. And so the second generation is something like this that, you know, I, I bet you a radio embedded in it. Oh, yeah. It probably would have had a radio embedded, right? Yeah. And, and I haven't really seen a competitor come out to compete with them. So, but if there were these additional features would outrank whatever the competitor That's right. had. That's right. Or now they would be copying. So the question would be for the latter company, are they working on the third gen? That's true. Cause they should be working on it right now, exactly. you know, and it's the HP mindset of make your own stuff obsolete. Do not allow the comp competition to do that. Because if you're making it obsolete, what that really means is the new product is rolling through the system. Right. And basically, when do you start that? When you release the present product, you start on the new. Amen. You put it in front of your customers, and That's you listen right. closely, and you go, what else do we need to do? Right. So, you know, once this market leadership is established, one can concentrate on future product ex extensions that we're talking about here. And um, let's look at a few that, that happened in the past. You know, originally, years ago, the, they developed bottled water because most people said, who's going to have bottled water? And it was basically in five-gallon containers that right. you would have in offices. And you would have a dispenser there. Well, then all of a sudden, we went from that to we're now into individual bottles of water. And it created a plastic industry. Well, from that, we recycle which has now created taking those plastic bottles and converting them into, I think, nylon. Yep. And you use the nylon for making various types of materials. Yeah, you could actually use the nylon to, 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 if you add graphite to it, turn it into Kevlar. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, if, if we look at what IBM did, they were not the first in the PC business. Yeah. They were, they let everybody else develop it. They came in and because they had such a large, uh, customer base, it made it very feasible for them to sell PCs and make it. And then eventually they said, you know, we're changing our business model and they yep. sold it out. And now the Chinese make them, <laughs> uh, Volvo, you know, is known especially for its safety in airbags. And they always showed you. Yep. Jamming into the wall. Well, now I just saw a commercial where because of new technology, you see it coming to jam in the wall and all of a sudden the brakes go on automatically. So they have gone to the next level. So now you don't have that possibility of even crashing. They hopefully mm -hmm. will stop that from happening. And if by some chance somebody runs into you in the airbags, they still are there to protect you. And, uh, I saw on uh, a commercial, yes, well, actually it was, it was Fox, where Amazon now in New York City has come out, order something on their phone, and they will deliver, guarantee delivery in one hour. Off their phone. Off their phone. Off their phone. And that was just amazing. One hour delivery. Yeah. So, you know, we have a, just a new distribution system in the Richmond area, so who knows? Yeah. Maybe we can get it Yeah, here maybe Richmond will be the hour. Yeah. So... Um, Thus, in closing, being the, the first to introduce new products or services to the marketplace really sets the firm up uh, to be a market leader or 
it experiences a huge failure. And the key to this uh, being successful is to provide items that the market wants to use and have good, solid marketing research. Uh, establishing one as a forefront leader uh, with super customer service will create a very strong relationship with customers for all future products and services. And uh, an open door for future growth and invention is there. Yeah, it's um, it's uh, the, we're not recommending that every company out there become the market leader out in terms of product launch, no. uh, because it's a it's a tough thing to do. But if you become that, you have a distinct advantage in the marketplace because you don't have to convince people to buy your stuff because of your previous track record. Where a lot of times you bring out new things and people are somewhat hesitant. Uh, number two is you get all that free publicity and you, your, your offer becomes a cult. I mean, Apple is a cult. I mean, if you're an Apple user, you wouldn't do anything other than use Apple. What type of market, you know, what type of product, uh, um, uh, loyalty w is that? I mean, you would just love to have somebody do that. And every one of us are influenced. Like for example, myself, if I'm in Florida, I only, I only shop in public stores. Now it's a food store, big deal. Well, it's kind of like Richmond in the old days with Ucrops. Only in, in Florida, there's Publix and there's everybody else. And I'll go a long way out of the way, go to Publix. Mm -hmm. And so that type of loyalty, one of the ways that you get it is by be, being first in the marketplace. So, well, thanks, Andy. Well, you're I, quite welcome. I, I think if you review, if, if you go through and you look at Andy's last six sessions, um, what you will get from that is how can you take the development of new products and services and do two things. One is turn out really good stuff and to become the leader in your industry or niche at doing that and when i say niche it could be you're the best in richmond right okay so so with that thanks andy looking forward to a great christmas yeah and i wish everybody that's listening a very merry christmas Happy okay holidays. thank you and we'll be back Mike Carroll of Sandler Training here in Richmond. Do you know the three most commonly made sales mistakes? Are you or your salespeople at fault? Visit focusbusiness.sandler.com to download your free report, the three biggest sales mistakes you should never make. In this report, discover these unprotective sales strategies and what to do about them. Finally, take the pressure out of selling and reach your desired sales result. Visit focusbusiness.sandler.com to download your copy now. Hello, this is William Eastman, your host for Richmond Biz Live on WLE 990 AM. You know, when I prepare for my segment, Owner as Executive, I am acutely aware that this is the number one obstacle to business growth. So, why don't you make an appointment with me to help you grow with your business? It will be the best 10 minutes of your week. And we're back. This is Richmond Biz Live, uh, richmondbizlive.com. And you can reach us either by going to the website and clicking the watch button, and you can catch us over the uh, video cam, or you can click the listen button. And you can stream us. Obviously, if you're listening to this, there's no need to do that. Or number three is you can join. And the way to join is to dial us up toll-free, 844-249-5483. That's 844-249-5483 or 844.bizlive. Okay, our last session, aren't we? Really, our last session of this part of the season is now. And uh, 
Ben Meredith is back with us, one of the pioneers of sales automation. I mean, we're talking. You can tell by the arrows in your back, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can also tell by your pedigree and how much you've done. <laughs> and Ben, Ben, and, and uh, Mike Carroll, Mike from uh, Focus Business Sandler, have been alternating you know, weeks, just depending upon what's going on. Right now, Mike's pretty busy, but uh, I, I asked Ben to really take a totally different approach here. Is that? We've talked about how to fix your business and we've talked about how to do it incrementally and we've done it. This is show 38 where you go over three seasons. We've talked about it. And I asked Ben to do something different. I said, Ben, what if the business owner said, okay, I'm going to start with a clean slate, absolute clean slate. What would I do? What would I do? I would, I'm going to do it right from the very beginning. I'm not going to fix anything. I'm just going to do it right from the beginning. What would that look like? And so with that, I'm going to turn it over to our pioneer of sales. I think Ernest. I cheated just a little bit because I was at Focus Business with uh, Mike Carroll this morning. Yeah. I said, Mike, if you were going to start all over again, what would you do? And being a consummate salesperson, he said, first of all, you, have, you develop your strategy. We all know that. We had right. got a strategy in place. And then select your, what he calls his sweet spot customer. Right. These are the customers that actually have a problem that we can solve. And they're willing to pay for it and, and can afford it. Number two, uh, decide how you want to go to market. Uh, and number three, develop behaviors and attitudes to execute on that. And, of course, you know, uh, uh, Mike is all about uh, this, getting the structure in place, the strategy and the structure, uh, and building out his staff with the proper skill sets. And that kind of mirrors a little bit of what um, the second thing that I did this morning was go to Google. Google is our, always our best friend. <laughs> what, I'm, what would I do if I were starting my business all over, all over again? And these actually hit a lot, of, a lot of the things that I came up with that I shared with you earlier this week. Uh, is hire a bookkeeper accountant day one. Start lean. And I, never, I take a little bit of issue with that because I think you need to have some expenditures and commitments up front. Uh, but be a little bit frugal. Don't uh, spend everything. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I think frugal is the good word is that frugal, you spend the money that you should spend. Yes. And no monuments. We're not going to buy a $1,000 chair. Yes, but we don't want to have to sit on a crate either. Okay, yeah, okay. Someplace in between. Yeah. Um, one odd one was don't listen to salespeople. Listen to your friends and business associates and acquaintances, people you trust. Uh, don't take on bad customers. That's a whole show by <laughs> itself, right? I think, I think we've done a couple of shows on how, how to do a – well, what do we call it? A a a butt something or other extraction. Something like bad that. customers. You should get rid. Of, you should get rid of ten percent a year anyway, uh, and build a a team of advisors, of course. Okay. So the uh, a couple of things that I always start with uh, is build strategic relationships. Right. You need to have those up front. Um, get uh, a team of advisors that you can work with, uh, and basically outside board of advisors or, or board of directors. Uh, they don't necessarily have to be, agree with you. They just have to tell the truth. That's right. So that when you're, you're going and, off and, base, and, and that's really what you need is people who have been there and know what they're talking about, and 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 they nicely tell you the truth. So you, your defenses don't go up, and you don't hear them. But on the other hand, you hired them to be truthful, and you got to pay attention. You should pay attention. Um, invest in training. Everybody that you bring on board should be you should go through a training continually 
And if you have a position that you're trying to fill that doesn't require any training, you probably don't need that position. Okay. But you need you need to invest in training from management all the way down, uh, particularly the sales reps, anybody who touches uh, uh, touches a customer or a prospect. And that's where Mike really shines in, in a yep. lot of what he does. Um, invest in technology right up front. Yeah. You know, some people of, of maybe our generation don't get, don't get to that as quickly as they should. Uh, unless you're running a bank or a financial institution where you've really got an issue uh, that you have to keep everything inside, uh, get on the cloud. I guess we can we still call it the cloud. I mean, it's been here 10 years almost. Well, what, what, what would you call it if you were selling it to me? I'd call it the thing you have to have. Okay. Which is pretty close. Yeah. Okay. Uh, get mobile. Get on the cloud. Uh, be able to run your business virtual if you have to. Even if uh, you have to, if you have to have everybody come into your office, have a physical place of place of business. Uh, if there's a happens to be a uh, a fire or some catastrophe happens, you need to continue operating. So and be able to run your business from your smartphone, regardless of the make. Yeah. I know all the Paneras and Starbucks will be filled when that happens. But right. That's what, we have, that's what we do. Okay. Uh, invest in technology. Measure everything that you can possibly measure in your business. I mean, don't go crazy about it. But, but you should be able to uh, adopt, have the technology you've already adopted that is going to give you the metrics uh, that are going to help you drive, help drive your business and, more importantly, show where the weak spots are. Uh, pick your accounting systems. Uh, pick your CRM systems. Uh, anything else that's going to be running a, a, a shop floor or anything within the within the office, uh, it's going to give you some metrics, and those you want to be paying attention to. And don't be looking at spreadsheets; it takes too much time. Okay, it's like scanning the newspaper from you know top to bottom. Yeah, become a spreadsheet-driven company, which right now I'm trying to work on. That's why uh, you and I've been talking about building a BI for that my client where I'm VP. Yep. Because everything's done in spreadsheets, and you got to read all the spreadsheets, give me a and they don't talk to each other. Give me a dashboard. Give me business alerts. Mm -hmm. I don't want to know that if somebody closed a, a big deal. I think that's great if they go ahead and sales rep goes ahead and closes a great big deal. What I'd like to know is he closes that great big deal, and I don't have the inventory to deliver it. That's right. So that's the alert that I want. Okay. So and there's a, a number of companies that have products that actually deliver that. So. Okay. Uh, one thing that I, I would suggest for everybody, if they don't already have it, get a copy of Michael Gerber's E-Myth. Yeah. Uh, if you can, try to find the original one. They, he's, they're kind of like a cottage industry for everything from, you know, every profession has an E-Myth. Yep. Get one of the original ones from back in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I agree. Will, that will help really put your business in place. Part of that goes back to the training issue that I mentioned earlier. Right. That if you have a position, you've already planned for it, where you, when you're going to fill it, at mm -hmm. what time you're going to fill it, and who they're going to report to, and what training, what skill sets they need at that point. Okay. Let's see. What can we find? One last thing that I would, I would recommend to everybody. Don't do it yourself. A lot of This goes back to the lean part we mentioned right. earlier, lean and frugal. Don't try to do all this yourself. Get those board of advisors. Get people you really trust. Uh, and you just don't try to be the hero and run that entire business yourself. You can't do it. We like to think we can, but you need to have the confidence in yourself that you look outside and bring people in who can really, really help drive that business forward. Yeah, because actually it'll be cheaper if you do that because perhaps you will launch on time. You will develop the product on time. 
you will, you know, I know from trying to do everything is that I'm way behind. You've, you've done this a couple of times. I've done that. I've been on this rodeo more than <laughs> once. That's, that's why I didn't get back last night from, uh, I mean, on uh, Wednesday from Salem. I'm trying to, insta I'm trying well, to, I'm trying to get this new system in place and apparently I'm the only one doing it. Well, welcome to well, my anyway. world. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, thanks, Ben. I thank you. I, I thought really it would be a good note to close on to say, okay, if we started from scratch, you had a clean slate, what would you do? And, and so with that, I appreciate that. And, um, just some last thoughts here as we, uh, as we approach, uh, Hanukkah, I think we're in Hanukkah already. Hanukkah was yesterday. It's well, you got seven days. So I think we started. Yeah. I think we're in Hanukkah and we have Christmas coming up next week. And that is for all your business owners out there to take some time off, spend some time with your family. And more than anything else, you need the time to refresh. You need a chance to, to sit and look at your business. And I find that probably the most valuable thing I have is when I don't have anything to do. And I look at the company and go, gee, what's, what, what should I be doing? What's the one thing that would make a huge difference in how this business is run? But I think given the themes that we've had today, what I want to say to you is that there is no reason in the world why you couldn't be one of those billion-dollar success stories that we studied 15 years ago that we developed our model on, business growth. No reason for it. It's a very predictable process, and if you manage that process, you can get there. And in fact, the first three seasons of this show have been about that. Now, next week, we'll have uh, Mark Deutsch and Rick Grossman are going to be in. It's going to be recorded because the studios are closed on the day after Christmas. So this is our last live show. They'll be talking about buying and selling a business. And I will see you in January for season four. your host for a revolutionary new approach to small business success, Richmond Biz Live on WLEE News Talk 990 AM. You can start by checking out our website, richmondbizlive.com, and download your program schedule. You'll find it in the resources section. One hour of information, techniques, and tools that you can use to achieve your dream. Clear your calendar for the most important hour in your week. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.